to running out of May. Are the rest of you feeling like the year has gone quickly? Like, how did this happen? Like, it's just galloping? Um, there is a scripture, can't think of exactly where it is, but um, that if he did not return, no, that even uh, his own, how does that go? That, that if he didn't, didn't return, everything would be destroyed. I mean, he, even the believers, we would, we would uh, lose faith. So he is coming, hallelujah. We know that he is coming, and that's what we're looking towards. Um, God's work. As many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The first key for usefulness in God's kingdom is humility. Pride cuts us off from God and from other people, and deceives us into thinking we can do God's work without God's power. When we rely on the Holy Spirit, however, he sanctifies us, he empowers us so that we can be effective tools in God's hands. That's a neat thing to think about, that we're a tool in God's hands. My husband always had a tool in his hand all the time, a hammer, a saw, or we're just the hammer or saw in God's hands. But there's a second key, and that is faith, that God is sovereign and that he is at work. If we can't see it, Habakkuk complained to God that evil people, people were winning the day. But God replied, I will work a work in your days, which you would not even believe, though it were told to you. That's Habakkuk 1.5. God is at work even in the midst of problems, and we do see a few problems. In the midst of pessimism and frustrations of our day, he alone is sovereign, and that is why we can trust him even when the day seems dark. We can trust God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we offer up to you this beautiful day and this morning as we come and um, come to worship, uh, to hear your word, and to just rejoice as a body um, before you. And so, Lord, we offer you this time. We offer you ourselves as tools in your hand. We know that our power, everything comes from you. And so we offer this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to stand and join us, our God is an awesome God. Yes? Okay, let me just check it. Sometimes you just don't want to stop, mm -hmm. you know? It's awesome. <laughs> As the deer.
seated. Probably Wayne's and my, one of our first oh, yeah. solos, I have a feeling. Duets. Oh, duet, yeah, you know. <laughs>
to the hills from whence comes my help my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to be moved he who keeps you will not slumber behold he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep the Lord is your keeper the Lord is your shade at your right hand the Sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's nice to know that, isn't it? If you'd like to stand with me, we're going to use Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 23 as a congregational prayer. And I thought to make it more personal, the first few lines we'd say, You, Lord, you, Lord, are my shepherd. I shall not want. You will make me to lie down, join with me, in green pastures. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given them. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your, kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is, is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from this world, and they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them from the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Will you join me in repeating uh, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy of the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, and 40 days later ascended into heaven. He is seated on the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that through you and through your Son, all that is was created. And, and Lord, so everything, you, you own it all. Um, we, we've never seen your property title thing, but uh, we know that it belongs to you. But we also know that you call upon us. You share with us. You, you shared your son so that we would, that he would die for our sins. And you share all these things that, that we temporarily possess that really belong to you. And you say, you can keep most of it, but give, give me back some so that my work can continue on to others who do not yet know me. So Lord, we ask that you, be, you bless this gifts that we give today and that we use them with the intent you told us to give them with. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And fly to Jesus, 
Good morning. Today is Ascension Sunday. Actually, Ascension was on Thursday the 18th. Count 10 days, and we have Pentecost. There is no higher thought we can contemplate today than the grace that will grant our own Ascension when we fly to Jesus and meet him in the air. And I think that will be one day very soon. That, Scott, that thought is not escapism. That's faith. It is our steadfast hope, and it is the love of God made manifest through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus today is on the fact that Jesus had to ascend to heaven in order for the Holy Spirit to descend to this earth. And on that thought, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you glory for the gift of your Son. We thank you for the redemption he has provided through his own blood. And we thank you, Lord, for the coming Pentecost. We need to celebrate Pentecost because it was the advent of your Holy Spirit. And things on this earth got much better after the advent of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us this morning. Rend our hearts. Open our eyes, open our ears. Speak your truth. Your spirit to our spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is Open My Eyes. The text is Acts chapter 1. Show us slide 1, please. The Acts of the Apostles is actually a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. You could call it Second Luke. But it would be far more appropriate to call it the acts of Jesus through his apostles. Luke was the only Gentile writer of the New Testament, and you could argue that he was the only Gentile writer in the entire Bible. Many believe Luke was the indentured servant of Theophilus, that he was Theophilus' personal physician. And it would seem that Theophilus financed or at least supported Luke's work. Slide two, please. Let's jump right into uh, Acts chapter one. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Underline that. That's very important. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Underline that sentence. Slide three, please. Once when he was eating with them, Jesus commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, 
Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Slide four, please. Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. We're going deep into theology this morning. Why? Because I firmly believe God is organizing a boot camp for this church. Just as he organized a boot camp for his disciples during the 40 days before his ascension. He has specified to your pastor that we reacquaint ourselves with the basics of the gospel, the basics of the Christian faith. The first sign their church is dying is when they think they don't need the basics. When they think their doctrine is immaculate and they need no further instruction. I want you to know what God's plan for this church is, what he has spoken to my heart. The teachings he has outlined for us over the past several months have been very strategic. We started with the Gospel of John and we focused on the I Am's of Jesus. In the past couple of weeks we have focused on the creeds, which are an expository, excuse me, expository of the character and personalities of the Godhead. And for the next several weeks we will focus on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The sequence of teachings have been very purposeful. I'll go as far to say as they have been God-ordained. God is preparing us to become a church which is full of the power of the Holy Spirit. So buckle up. The book of Acts tells us about how the early church turned the world upside down for Jesus. We need to know this. God is preparing our little church to take the reins of what he wants to accomplish in Tucson, just as he did for the apostles prior to Pentecost. This is not hype. I'm telling you what God has revealed to me regarding his plans for this church. And the only question is, are we as willing and obedient as were the apostles of Jesus Christ? Slide five, please. Acts 1.1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Note that last sentence. It doesn't say Jesus gave them further instructions. It says he gave them instructions through his Holy Spirit. Jesus communicated with them through his Holy Spirit. Remember what we learned from the Athanasian Creed. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. You encounter one, you encounter them all. They are inseparable. During the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he communicates with his disciples in a new dimension. And that dimension is the Holy Spirit. Rather than talk to them face to face, he puts another tool in their toolbox. He communicates through his Holy Spirit. Slide six, please. Have you ever wondered what happened in John 2020? Remember, this is prior to Jesus' ascension. It takes place during or after, immediately after his resurrection. Let's read it. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Here in John 20, the disciples have been commissioned and they have also been given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to dive deep into that term, the indwelling. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit gives us a telepathy with the Trinity. It is spirit-to-spirit communication. You've heard of a mind meld. This is a spirit meld. Jesus no longer communicates with his apostles only by the spoken word, but he now uses the telepathy of his spirit. This is how Jesus communicates with you and me, the telepathy of his spirit. During the four days of Jesus' resurrection, Luke says that Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time. And note this, after their commissioning in John 20, the disciples are no longer called disciples. They are called apostles. What's an apostle? One who is sent. One who is commissioned. He appeared to them from time to time and talked to them about the kingdom of God. These are the further instructions Luke speaks of in verse 3. Jesus gave the ten apostles the indwelling of the Holy Spirit expressly for these 40 days. And I believe it was for the purpose of assisting Jesus in preparing those 500 followers St. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15.6. That verse says, Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. What are these 500 plus followers being prepared for during these 40 days? Pentecost. In the 40 days, Jesus has put his apostles in a Holy Spirit boot camp. Dear Lord, put us in a Holy Spirit boot camp. He's teaching them how to live and move and have their being in the Holy Spirit of the living God. In these 40 days, Jesus is transferring his divine authority to his apostles. And the process will not be complete until Pentecost. Jesus is tutoring his apostles in the administration of his kingdom. He's giving them hands-on training, time behind the wheel. The apostles are learning how to operate in, with, and through the Holy Spirit. They are no longer observers of Christ's ministry. They have been commissioned to continue it, as are you and I. Scripture is clear that Jesus is schooling his apostles about kingdom dynamics, which they will employ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, 40 days in the Bible is always, always a time of preparation. The advent of the Holy Spirit will be the locomotive called the kingdom of God. And it will soon be put into gear and start rolling. Slide 7. Verse 4. Once when he, Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what's the difference between being baptized with the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Tends to be a lot of confusion in Christian churches about this. We're going to get into it. But today let's talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We'll do a deep dive into the baptism of the Holy Spirit next week. 
In John 20, Jesus breathes on his disciples and gives them the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So why did Jesus give his disciples the indwelling of his Holy Spirit before Pentecost? As Jesus breathes his Spirit into them, they become one with him, one with his Spirit, totally in step with what Jesus will be thinking and doing for the next 40 days. But they have not yet received power from on high. That comes at Pentecost. Is there a deeper reason why Jesus gave the indwelling of his Holy Spirit to his disciples before Pentecost? Yes. It's called commendation. Slide 8. Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles. Underline foundation. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. This dwelling or temple is the church, the body of Christ. And you and I are the bricks in that wall. Praise God. St. John's Revelation chapter 21 tells us there are 12 foundation stones in heaven. And each of them will have the name of one of the apostles inscribed on it. I'll give you a little teaser for next week. Matthias will not have his name inscribed on one of those foundation stones. And I'll tell you why next week. Let me ask you this. During those 40 days prior to Jesus' ascension, did the apostles fully understand what Jesus was doing? No. Their spirits were melded to Jesus' spirit, inextricably linked to his will and in complete obedience. God grant that for us. It's not important that we understand exactly what God is doing in this little church or in our individual lives or in our families. All Jesus asks is for us to obey and to trust. Trust that he alone is building this church, not us. He has not forgotten who we are, where we are, or why he put each one of us here. He is the master builder, and all he asks of us is to mix the mortar and place the bricks. The plan, the power, the provision is all his. Can I hear an amen? Yes. And what do the scriptures say about obedience? 1 Sam 15.22, obedience is better than sacrifice. Slide 9. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Doesn't say complete knowledge of his plans. Complete knowledge of his will. And to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind good fruit. And all the while you will grow as you learn how to know God better and better. It's all about growing, folks. It's all about growing. We never stop growing. Well, our, our brother Tim Keller perhaps has stopped growing. He's uh, dancing around the throne. The wisdom and understanding we desperately need to know is this. Write this down. Gratitude precedes miracles. I'll say that again. Gratitude precedes miracles. 
In John 20, Jesus gave his disciples the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So what did he give them at Pentecost? Another dose? No. In a word, he gave them power. For you gearheads out there, the apostles already have an engine. At Pentecost, they get a supercharger, a big one. Pentecost was all about power. It was all about Jesus' followers receiving Holy Spirit power to preach, teach, and share the gospel. You and I receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the moment we believe, the moment we profess faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we receive Christ, we simultaneously receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we receive the keys to the kingdom of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit gives us the knowledge and the power to open every door in the kingdom of God on heaven and in earth. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is just like water baptism. It is a complete immersion into the Spirit of God. We call that immersion Holy Spirit fullness. Holy Spirit fullness is how the apostles turned the world upside down for Jesus. Old time Pentecostals have an expression, one baptism, many fillings. Holy Spirit fullness is a daily quest. We have to go down to that river every day and fill up our souls to overflowing every day. Holy Spirit baptism is not a one-and-done experience. It is a daily experience, a daily maintenance. It requires maintenance by way of the Word, prayer, and meditation. What kind of meditation? I'm not talking about the lotus position. It's taking time out of your day to sit before God and listen. That is meditation. Meditation is a daily routine of emptying ourselves of our desires and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His desires. The Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament was and is a feast to celebrate God's giving of His law to Moses at Sinai. For we New Testament believers, we celebrate Pentecost as God giving us the law of Christ, the law of love, which he manifested by the advent of his Holy Spirit. So what was the relationship of Old Testament believers with the Holy Spirit? They did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They were surrounded by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on them, came beside them, surrounded them. The Holy Spirit surrounded them. Slide 10. The best way to understand Scripture is Scripture. Psalm 139. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. That was written long before the advent of the Spirit. Once you trust in God, you cannot escape him. The disciples believed in Jesus during his entire earthly ministry. They were surrounded by his Holy Spirit, but they did not receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit until Resurrection Sunday, John 20. When Jesus asked Peter, whom do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus responded, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but rather my Father which is in heaven.
The Father, through the Holy Spirit, revealed to Peter the truth of who Jesus was and is, and who forevermore will be. But the Holy Spirit, did it indwell Peter at this time? No. The Holy Spirit was with Peter, surrounding Peter, and all the disciples. Remember what we learned a couple of weeks ago when we studied the Athanasian Creed. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. They are inseparable. You encounter one, you encounter them all. Father and Son, Holy Spirit are universally present, omnipresent throughout the cosmos and even in hell. Everywhere present. Even before creation, they were everywhere present. But only since Pentecost have they indwelled believers. At Pentecost, the 120 mentioned in Acts chapter 2 who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit simultaneously received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can't have the baptism of the Spirit without the indwelling of the Spirit. It's like buying a new car without an engine. You ain't going anywhere. You look good sitting on the curb, but you're not going anywhere. You can have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and attend church five times a week, but without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you ain't going anywhere. You will never accomplish great things for God until you are full of the Holy Spirit, totally immersed in His love. Slide 11, please. This is the Last Supper, just prior to Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus said to His disciples, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and does not recognize him. The 120 at Pentecost were looking for him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. This is where we get the term, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He will be in you. The advent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was the advent of Christ's Spirit. The advent of the Father's Spirit. The advent of the three in one. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 from the Living Bible. Sometimes paraphrases speak beautifully to the truth of Scripture. For if you tell others with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and believe in your own heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in His heart that a man becomes right with God. And with his mouth he tells others of his faith which confirms his salvation. You can't be a silent believer and have your salvation confirmed. You have to confess your belief in Christ. All who are willing to trust in Jesus as their personal Savior will be indwelled by His Holy Spirit for all eternity. Slide 12, please. The Ascension of Jesus. Verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? For the 40 days the apostles are with Jesus prior to ascension, they're peppering him with this question, this dogma that they wore him out with even before his crucifixion. And what is dogma? Belief that does not save. They are still clinging to the Judaic false teaching that Messiah will be a conquering hero like King David 
and drive out all their physical enemies. Verse 7, Jesus replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. The Greek word for power here in verse 8 is dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite and dynamo. Slide 13. Here's a biblical outline for the word dunamis used throughout Scripture. The inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. What is the nature of God? Power. Cosmos creating power. It is power for performing miracles, moral power and excellence of soul. Have you ever thought of power as excellence of soul? Think about that. The power and influence which belongs to one of great wealth. We call that a plutocrat. God is the greatest plutocrat ever. He exercises his power and great wealth to our benefit. Power in number, such as an army. I love uh, the way Eugene Peterson translates. Uh, how does he put it? God of the angel armies. The word love, listen up. The word love is not used even once in the book of Acts. But the operative term for power is used 56 times. The book of Acts is about power. And power is love. The manifest power of the Holy Spirit is love. Love in action. Love that is not in action is not love. Slide 14. Verse 9, after saying this, he was taken up to, into a cloud as they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men appeared to them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring up into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but will someday return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. His big toe will touch down on the exact spot on the Mount of Olives where he left. The apostles are standing there slack-jawed, dazed and confused, gazing up into heaven. Still asking, but, but, but when are you going to chase the Romans out of Israel? You're not finished. You haven't chased the Romans out of Israel. This is pathetic. But you and I would have said and thought the same thing. They are not focused on the coming power from on high. They are not focused on evangelism, and they won't be until... Pentecost. Dogma dies hard. It dies very, very hard. Dogma does not save. Only truth saves, and his name is Jesus Christ. My wife's stepmother is a JW. We witness to her every chance we get. But sadly, her stepmother has been told ever since she was a young girl that she cannot believe in Jesus. That he is not divine. That he is only human. That salvation is only through good works. Such as standing on the street corner passing out watchtower tracts. Dogma has many faces and many names. Purgatory. Mother Mary. The Rosary. Dogma is faith that does not save. You cannot buy your way out of hell. You cannot thumb a necklace of beads and be forgiven of your sins. Mother Mary nor any other saint 
is divine. They did not die on a cross for your salvation, so why would you pray to them? They cannot save you. You cannot earn your way to heaven by being a good person. None is righteous. No, not one. God does not grade on a curve. There is no other way to the Father and His holy heaven than through the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, who guides us, protects us, who surrounds us on all sides. We thank you for he who is truth and who leads us into all truth, who teaches us how to worship you, Father, in spirit and in truth. Father, help us to live in that spirit and that truth today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. My benediction this morning is from Eugene Peterson. Ephesians 5.21 Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Love launches us into new territory. To explore the new, the old must be left behind. It means leaving earlier levels of accomplishment and relationship and growing into new ones. Every act of love is a risk of self. There are no guarantees in love. Much can go wrong. We can get hurt. We can be rejected. We can be deceived. But without risking the perils, without repeating old patterns and the routine of old comfort, we cannot grow. The self cannot be itself if it does not grow. And for a creature made in the image of God to grow is to love. I would like to make a commentary. In our Thursday night prayer meeting, the subject of politics came up. And God bless you, Tom. You are an amazing head of session. Tom made a statement that was quite profound. He said, you know, with the coming election in 2024, politics is going to raise its ugly head time and time again. And we have to discipline ourselves or it's going to split this church apart. And I'm probably as great a offender as anyone. I know I've made snide remarks about politicians from the pulpit. That's inexcusable. You have my apologies. But Luther said, if you don't preach against the politics of the day, you're not representing the gospel as the remedy for all that is wrong. So I will preach against abortion. I will preach against veterans being evicted from their homes to make room for illegal aliens. I will preach against sin. And if you want to call it politics, so be it. We have Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and at least one populist in this congregation. And no people in this congregation can agree on every issue. So let's accept that fact. Therefore, out of respect for Christ, let's be kind, let's be courteous, and reverent to each other. Respect each other's points of view, and let it rest. Blessings to you all.